We are continuing in the book of Romans today, and I'm, I'm very excited about this. Uh, how many of you men um, uh, do the grocery shopping for your families? Let's see your hands. That's what I thought. Okay. Um, how many of you have ever been to the grocery store? Okay, that's good. That's good. That's good. All right. So one of the things that I've noticed about the grocery store is in this picture, I don't know if you can see it from where you're at, but in this picture, there are a lot of examples of, of groceries or products where they are now selling them uh, a little smaller, but a little more expensive. And so that, that continues the process. Things keep going up in price slightly. But one of the things that uh, people do is they, they give you a little bit less to kind of you know, fake us into believing we're getting the same thing. There are many products like this, uh, and some are really sneaky about it, like uh, the folks at Cadbury, uh, they have this uh, chocolate bar. I don't know if you've got one of these new chocolate bars, but it's in the same size wrapper. Wrapper's a little different, same size wrapper, but it's actually 14% less chocolate. Interesting, huh? And then, of course, Tropicana, uh, they actually are using the same exact size carton that used to put 64 fluid ounces in it. Now, if you look very carefully, there's only 59 fluid ounces uh, in the same exact carton size. So you think you're getting the same thing you've always gotten, but you let, you're getting uh, quite a bit less, you know, 10% less. And then these, this is the, this is the sneakiest. I mean, these are the sneaky. This is Skippy peanut butter. And what they've done is they've uh, made the bottom concave uh, almost a full inch uh, so that you actually get about 12% less peanut butter, but it actually looks like the exact same size jar, and it's still full to the top. They got you, didn't they? Okay? And, and this actually, this is so common now that it has a name. Uh, these are called cheater cups. Uh, even if it's for paper towels or whatever, they're just called, this is a cheater cup. Uh, and I'm sure we all hate cheater cups. I hate cheater cups. You know, they, believe, they lead us to believe something about a product that isn't really true. Now, I wonder, I just wonder, if sometimes we might be living a cheater cup Christian kind of life. Do we sometimes want people to see the perfect religious outside while the inside is something a little less? Just a thought. We'll come back to that in a little bit. Before we read our scripture in Romans today, let me remind you of a few things. Paul is writing to the churches in Rome, and, and when he writes it, he's writing to plural churches, so he knows this is going to be a circular letter. Uh, there are no copy machines. There, are no, there is no internet yet. Al Gore hadn't invented the internet yet. So, uh, you know, this was, a, this was an actual physical letter uh, that was being taken there to Rome and then would be circulated uh, through the Roman churches. And these churches were of all different kinds. Some were meeting in a house, some were meeting in a synagogue, some were probably meeting under a tree, we don't really know, uh, but they were meeting in all kinds of... Some of the followers of Jesus uh, had no particular religious background, but a pretty big portion of the believers, at least in this part of the world, were probably Jewish converts. In fact, we know that some of them were, if not most. They have a rich history of following God and the law, and they struggled with the value of the religious rules and regulations that they thought brought them closer to God. And so we're going to see today uh, just the uselessness of their religion. And I think what would be implied is certainly the uselessness of our own religious ways. So let's read the text in full, and then we'll come back and read it in pieces. We're going to look today at Romans chapter 2, verses 12 through 29. Here's what it says. 
For all who have sinned without the law will also perish without the law. And all who have sinned under the law will be judged by the law. For it is not the hearers of the law who are righteous before God, but the doers of the law who will be justified. For when Gentiles who do not have the law by nature do what the law requires, they are a law to themselves, even though they do not have the law. They show that the work of the law is written on their hearts, while their conscience also bears witness, and their conflicting thoughts accuse or even excuse them on that day when, according to my gospel, God judges the secrets of men by Christ Jesus. But if you call yourself a Jew and rely on the law and boast in God and know his will and approve what is excellent because you are instructed from the law, and if you are sure that you yourself are a guide to the blind, a light to those who are in darkness, an instructor of the foolish, a teacher of children, having in the law the embodiment of knowledge and truth, you then who teach others, do you not teach yourself? While you preach against stealing, do you steal? You who say that one must not commit adultery, do you commit adultery? You who abhor idols, do you rob temples? You who boast in the law, dishonor God by breaking the law. For as it is written, the name of God is blasphemed among the Gentiles because of you. For circumcision indeed is of value if you obey the law. But if you break the law, your circumcision becomes uncircumcision. So if a man who is uncircumcised keeps the precepts of the law, will not his uncircumcision be regarded as circumcision? Then he who is physically uncircumcised but keeps the law will condemn you who have the written code and circumcision but break the law. For no one is a Jew who is merely one outwardly, nor is circumcision outward and physical, but a Jew is one inwardly, and circumcision is a matter of the heart by the Spirit, not by the letter. His praise is not from man, but from God. Now, when you read that all in one uh, big breath, you get to the end and you go, oh my goodness, the law, circumcision, uncircumcision, I don't know whether to get circumcised or not, I don't know whether to obey the law or not, it's just all confusing. Well, let's take it back piece by piece, and let's kind of figure out what it's really telling us. And here's the first principle that we see in this passage. Without the law, our conscience will be our judge. Now, I know some of you are probably thinking right now, awesome, I'll stop reading the Bible, and I'll only be uh, responsible for the part I already know. Right? Before you get excited, let's read this again, verses 12 through 16. For all who have sinned without the law, those non-Jews, Gentiles, will also perish without the law. And all who have sinned under the law will be judged by the law. For it is not the hearers of the law who are righteous before God, but the doers of the law who will be justified. For when Gentiles, who do not have the law, by nature do what the law requires, they are a law to themselves, even though they do not have the law. They show that the work of the law is written on their hearts, while their conscience also bears witness. And their conflicting thoughts accuse or even excuse them on that day when, according to my gospel, God judges the secrets of men by Christ Jesus. Now let me explain it to you maybe this way. Uh, if you are, are driving down the highway and you get pulled over for speeding, 
and the uh, officer walks up to the car and, and he says, do you know how fast you were going? And you say, yes, sir. Uh, I was going 84 and a 55. He'll say, you were right. I only clocked you at 83, but I'll give you credit for the extra mile. And I'm going to now write you a ticket. You are responsible because you knew the law. If he walks up to your car and says, uh, uh, excuse me, do you know how fast you were going? And you say, no, I, have, I, I don't ever look at the speedometer. I don't know how fast I was going. And I have no idea what the speed is on this road. He had a nice day. I know this by experience. <laughs> so, so here's the point that Paul's making here, folks. Uh, those who know the law are going to be judged by the law. But those who don't have the law are still going to be judged by the law. Why? Because it's written in their hearts. It's written in their hearts. Those who've never been exposed to the law of God are not responsible for the every little word that's in the law. But the moral law of God is still written on their conscience. Everybody knows you shouldn't steal. Now, some people don't care, and they're going to do it anyway. But if you could actually get them to the place where you say, listen, you can continue to steal and be a, a criminal, but do you think it's right to steal? If you could really get them to be honest, they would say, of course not. Everybody knows it's not right to take the innocent lives of others. Everybody knows it's not right to hate your brother and sister. Everybody knows that. But the scripture says that they have conflicting thoughts in their minds, so they don't obey them. You see, this is why no one is innocent, and no one can stand righteous before God on their own merits. If you know the law, you're responsible for it, in which no case does anybody ever fulfill it completely. By the way, in this whole passage, when it comes to obeying the law, uh, this is not, God doesn't grade on the curve, okay? I don't get to say, well, my five neighbors are all bigger jerks than I am, so I'm in pretty good standing with God. This is pass-fail, okay? You either obey the law completely or you don't. It's that simple. And so what, what Paul's saying here is, his, okay, you Jews, you've got the law, and you have to be bound by the law, and you're going to be judged by the law. But you Gentiles over here, you, got, you guys, you don't have the law, so we'll just, we'll just not even talk about that. But listen, you know. You know. Remember, a couple of weeks ago, he even said to those who would claim to be atheists, listen, you know God exists. Deep in your gut, you really do know that God exists. You might not know him, you might not know about him, you not know, may know very much about what kind of character he has, but you know he exists. Now about this time, uh, the Jews who've been living uh, with the law are probably reacting. And remember, Paul's a Jew, okay? He knows how they think, he knows how they feel, he knows how they react. And they're probably thinking, well, well they may not be, hit, be uh, held to the written law, but they're still guilty of breaking God's law. Isn't that cool? They're just so guilty. I mean, even though they don't know it, it's awesome because they're still guilty. And then Paul turns to them, and he begins to talk to them. But folks, it's important for us to understand, this is now the second time he's already addressed in the book of Romans, this age-old question, well, what about people on the other side of the world who don't hear the gospel, who don't know the gospel? There are no innocent people. We are all messed up by sin. And so that is a moot question. 
Now, the next few points I'm going to go through here, uh, usually all of my points are like a completed thought or phrase. Uh, the next four are going to go together because it just kind of made more sense for me because I want to break this up. Paul does these incredible long run-on sentences, and uh, I can't get them into one uh, except one big long idea, so I'm going to kind of break them out. But I think you'll be able to follow okay. So I want you to see that without the law, our conscience will be our judge, but that's not good news because our conscience knows the truth about right and wrong. Now we see Paul begins to talk about religious pride. Religious pride. Look what it says in verses 17 and 18. He says, But if you call yourself a Jew and rely on the law and boast in God and know his will and approve what is excellent because you are instructed from the law... Wait, he's going to finish the thought in just a few moments. Okay? Now he speaks directly to those who call themselves Jews. These are God's people. Uh, those with the written law. Those who have the expression of God's righteousness for man. And he says, hey, let's start with your religious pride. Let's start there. Notice some things he says. He says, you rely on the law. In other words, you have a tendency to look to the law to provide your righteousness because they would break out the law and go, okay, see that right there? I do that. Right here? I do that too. Look at this. I do this and this and this and this and this. Don't forget about this. Over here, this, 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 and this. I do them all. They, they did this, okay, to, to, to just... This, this religious pride had crept into their hearts. He said, you boast in God. Now, this doesn't mean you boast about God. Listen, I boast about God all the time. I was talking to a young man this morning in the drive up uh, to McDonald's uh, about how cool God is. And I see him every Sunday morning next week. He said he doesn't ever go except he occasionally goes with his mother who goes to a Jehovah's Witness Kingdom Hall. So I'm praying he'll come here next week with me. Uh, but listen, uh, uh, when I was talking to him, I was just telling him how cool God is. I was boasting about God. These guys weren't boasting about how good God was. They were boasting in God. Frankly, God's pretty, pretty lucky to have me on his team. God is in me. Look at all the stuff I've done. I just went through the list. Come on. God's a lucky God. It says, you know his will. Ignorance is definitely no excuse to them. And you approve what is excellent. Listen, you're a cheerleader for what's right. And they go, you better believe I am. In fact, I'm glad you just gave it to those Gentiles. They need to know they're going to be judged too. Paul's just baiting them a little bit. He's pulling them in. He says, so you have this religious pride. They had a great deal of spiritual pride. They were God's chosen people. Instead of humble gratefulness and appreciation for what God had done for them, they had generally become conceited and haughty about how good they were. Now, before we start judging them, do we ever, as Christians, act with conceit and arrogance because of our relationship with Jesus instead of humble appreciation and a feeling of indebtedness? Do we ever look at our neighbors and think, you know, they really are a bunch of jerks. They ought to come to Jesus if he'd take them. 
Do those thoughts ever creep into our minds? We better be cautious. We better be cautious. God is not the lucky one to have me on his team. I am the blessed one for him allowing me on his team. So we see that this religious pride leads to arrogant assumption or presumption. Leads to arrogant presumption. Look what it says in verses 19 and 20. Paul's continuing the thought. And if you are sure that you yourself are a guide to the blind, a light to those who are in darkness, an instructor of the foolish, a teacher of children, having in the law the embodiment of the knowledge and truth, he'll continue his thought in a moment. He's basically saying, listen, when you think you're that good, it just stands to reason that you're a guide to the blind. You're a light to those in darkness. You, you're an instructor of the foolish. You're a teacher of children. Uh, in fact, God's not only lucky to have you on his team, everybody in your sphere of influence is lucky to know you because you're so close to him. You see, we begin to presume, if we begin to think that we're that together, that we've accomplished that much personal righteousness, we begin to think, maybe everybody would just be better off knowing me because I could help them with all of their problems. Listen, believing that having the law uh, as the embodiment of knowledge and truth, uh, these folks believed that they themselves became the answers to life. This attitude of knowing everything spiritually and believing you've achieved everything and, 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 and you've achieved this righteousness in life, that's a really, really, really big problem. If you live up to everything that God says, and now you just want to grace the rest of us with your incredible spiritual presence, that is an incredible problem. Because religious pride leads to arrogant presumption and religious hypocrisy. Religious hypocrisy. Look at verse 21 and 22. It says, You then who teach others, do you not teach yourself? While you preach, you who say that one must not commit adultery, do you commit adultery? You who abhor idols, do you rob temples? You see, the problem with having an attitude that you've achieved perfect righteousness is that we somehow continue to sin and therefore are complete hypocrites. Now, does that mean we shouldn't communicate God's word until we have it perfected? You know, I shouldn't talk to anybody about what the Bible says about things until I've, uh, until I've achieved it, until I've perfected it, right? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. There is a big, big difference between being a messenger of what God says, who also needs to hear it, and a perfect model of it. There is a big difference of that, in that. In other words... If you ever hear from this pulpit, from me or anyone else, hey, listen, you all just need to start doing what I do because I've got it all figured out. You need to run us out of here on a rail, if people still do that. I don't, know, I don't even know what that means. But you should do it. Okay, listen, that, that, nobody in, this, in the leadership of this church thinks that way, talks that way, certainly hope don't ever act that way. We are simply messengers of God's good word. 
of God's grace and mercy. We are benefactors of it. When people look at Fellowship of Grace, if they were to say, if they were to say, you know what, those people at Fellowship of Grace, you know what, they're all a bunch of hypocrites. I would say to them, yes, we are. That's why we need a Savior. You know, I've learned something very interesting being an Uber driver for the last couple of months, having spiritual conversations with people who are very far from God, and they don't know I'm a pastor. It's kind of fun. (laughs) Here's something I've learned. Most people who are far from God, you know what they think we do here on Sunday mornings? They think we come here and all celebrate our own perfection. They think we come here and celebrate the fact that we've got it all figured out and and we're doing everything the right way and we just come here and pat each other on the back and tell each other how wonderful we are. And I tell people, no, it's actually the absolute opposite of that. See, Satan turns everything upside down, totally upside down. So it's the opposite of that. They say, what do you mean? I said, no, my church is full of people who know they can't be like that. And so they've given their life to Jesus to save them. They realize that without the grace and mercy of God, which Jesus gave to us on the cross, we have no hope for salvation because we can't be perfect. And they just, I mean, I I picture in the rearview mirror them all going, because their mind just blows at that. They're just like, what? We had no idea. We had no idea. So we see though, here, though, folks, if, if we begin to have this religious pride where we think we've got it all together, it leads to these arrogant presumptions and then religious hypocrisy. And the logical outcome of being a religious hypocrite is that it brings shame to God. It brings shame to God. Look what it says in verses 23 and 24. It says, You who boast in the law dishonor God, By breaking the law. For as it is written, the name of God is blasphemed among the Gentiles because of you. Wow. Paul never beats around the bush much. He's saying, look, for those of you who boast in the law, thinking that you've achieved it, you dishonor God because you keep breaking it. He's trying to help them overcome their religious self-righteousness because it's useless. It doesn't accomplish anything. It's not saying and doing all the right things that brings about righteousness because nobody can do it. That was the point of the law. The point of the law was not to help us all be righteous. It was to point out the fact that we can't be righteous. James 2.10 says, For whoever keeps the whole law but fails in one point has become guilty of all of it. Has become guilty of all of it. That means that every person in this room is guilty of every single law that God has ever spoken or thought. We are guilty of all of it. It's not grading on the curve. It's pass-fail. And so we see here that Paul has turned... Uh, first to the Gentiles, and said, hey, listen, you don't have to be responsible for the law. Don't worry about it. Don't worry. But you do have to obey what God's put on your heart. And by the way, that means you're all failures. 
hey, Jews, before you get all excited about it, you got the law, you got the stuff. Listen, you're all a bunch of hypocrites because none of you live up to it. But you... So now what? Well, he says it's not outward religion, but inward transformation that confirms a relationship with God. Look at verses 25 through 29. He goes on to say, For circumcision indeed is of value if you obey the law. But if you break the law, your circumcision becomes uncircumcision. So if a man who is uncircumcised keeps the precepts of the law, will not his uncircumcision be regarded as circumcision? Then he who is physically uncircumcised but keeps the law will condemn you who have the written code and circumcision but break the law. For no one is a Jew who is merely one outwardly, nor is circumcision outward and physical, but a Jew is one inwardly. And circumcision is a matter of the heart, by the spirit, not by the letter. His praise is not from man, but from God. Listen, circumcision was the outward sign of the commitment of Jews to follow the law and to follow God. And Paul is saying it's a very useful sign if you're able to follow the law. But because you cannot, it really doesn't have very much usefulness in your righteousness at all. Then he goes on to say, but, but what if someone obeyed the law perfectly? What if they, they obeyed the law perfectly? Would it matter if he wasn't outwardly circumcised? Of course not. He's kept the law. So Paul asked the question, who's the real Jew? One who keeps the law and isn't circumcised? Or one who is circumcised and doesn't keep the law? Now how does this relate to us? Let me ask you this. Who's the real Christian? Who's the real Christian? Is it the one who goes to church and gets baptized and puts Jesus-y posts on their Facebook and Twitter accounts night and day, but has no change of heart towards God and others or their own sin? Are they a real follower of Jesus? You see, he gives a test at the end of this scripture. Who is it that has a religion and who is it that has a relationship? Do we want to be people who have all the outward signs, but we're a little concave because we're not quite what we should be? Like that skippy jar? Or do we worry less about the outward stuff and focus and concern ourselves with the heart that has been changed by the Spirit of God. You see, when we have a heart that's been changed by the Spirit of God, we do those outward things because of it's a cause and effect relationship. We do those outward things because of a changed heart. But if a person does all those outward things to get a changed heart, it doesn't work like that. It's like trying to pour water uphill. It doesn't work that direction. So don't be a Christian cheater cup. If you walk away from today and want to remember one phrase, just don't be a skippy. Okay? Don't be a skippy. Don't, listen, I love skippy, but don't be one. 
Okay? Listen, the Bible speaks in several places about uh, people who will be surprised at the end judgment. And there's one particular passage where uh, people are separated from God, they're, 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 they're thrown into the lake of fire, and they say, but God, wait, we did this for you, and 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 this for you. And by the way, if you look carefully at what those things are, these were not people that come and sit and worship. These are church leaders. These are leaders of churches. They're saying, God, look what, how much I did for you. Look what I did for you. And he says, yeah, but I never got your heart. I didn't really know you. You never really got the gospel and, and, and gave me your heart. You just decided to be really religious. Folks, it's important for us to understand that religion is useless. Doing all of the Christian stuff without a change of heart by the Spirit of God is no value at all. Only a relationship with Jesus that is life-changing, heart-transforming is real Christianity. Only those who have realized I cannot be good enough, I cannot achieve righteousness in and of myself, Therefore, I throw myself at the mercy of the cross. We sang about it today. I throw myself at the cross of my sins and turns them white as snow. Only then, with a changed heart by the Spirit of God, can a person really have a relationship with God through his son, Jesus Christ. Now, Paul hasn't said that yet, but I can't let you just have bad news. You've got to know the remedy. And so when we see this, folks, it's important for us never to fall into that trap of thinking that somehow we've arrived or that somehow our religiosity is of some great value to the world. Only our, our humility at the cross accomplishes anything in our life or in the lives of others. Paul is trying to help us understand and draw this picture, and I'm going to keep doing it almost every week. You know, Paul's trying to help us understand we are depraved by ourselves. Jesus is perfect, and, and, and this gospel is so huge. When the, when the Pharisees began to believe, you know, we are really pretty good, look what that does to the gospel. It makes it smaller and smaller and smaller. Paul's trying to help us understand, no, you are over here. I want you to see here in a few chapters how big and great the gospel is. But if you don't understand where you're starting from and you don't understand who Jesus is, you can't understand how big the gospel is. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your grace and your mercy toward us. We thank you for sending your son Jesus to die on the cross to pay for our sins. Father, help us never, never to slip in to some kind of phony egotistical religiosity that somehow we have achieved something. Anything done in our lives that has any value, eternal value at all, is only because of your presence in our lives and your spirit in us. God, help us to always remember that. Help us to rely on you and see you do great things in and through us because of you, not because of us. And Lord, if there's anybody today who has heard these words of yours and, 
and is contemplating whether they have spent a life of religion instead of a real heart change and a relationship, I pray that they would settle that today. Lord, I pray that they would come to me or, or Pastor Derek or Pastor John or another leader in our church or someone they trust to help them work through that and to know before they leave this building that they have put their faith and trust in you to save them and to change them from the inside out. God, we thank you. We thank you, thank you, thank you. Help us never, ever get over what you have done for us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.